Hi everyone, it's Joakim Akren, your host of the Elite Game Developers Podcast, a podcast about the entrepreneurs and investors who are building the games companies of the future. Today I'm talking with Ali Ottarsson, who is a principal at gaming investment firm Makers Fund. Ali has had a long career in gaming, working first at CCP on EVE Online, then at Riot Games on League of Legends. Recently, he started doing angel investing and then eventually joined Makers Fund to become a VC. In this discussion, we talk about the game development lessons that Ali has learned and how he is now applying those lessons to investing. But before we go to this episode, here's a few words from our sponsors. Are you a mobile game developer who's looking to try something new on the ad creative side? My top pick would be influencer-generated content, IGC, by Opera Event. Influencers and actors will make specific content from your games and Opera Event will deliver you high-quality video ads that highlight the best parts of your game. Go to getigc.com to see some examples. That's getigc.com At Paul NVC, we provide mobile app and game developers revolving lines of credit, enabling you to borrow up to four times your monthly revenues with simple and transparent pricing. As part of our commitment to the ecosystem, we also provide a suite of free tools and resources to improve financial literacy, helping studios make the most informed decisions when it comes to finance. And that's why we've been named Best Service Provider in this year's Pocket Gamer Mobile Game Awards. Visit pollen.bc to learn more. Hi, Ali. Welcome to the show. Hi, Joachim. Thanks for having me on the show. And uh, it's great, great to be on the podcast. It's great. Yeah, we've been talking about doing this for a while. So I'm really happy to, to finally have you uh, here. And, and, and we can start going into your background, everything you've learned in gaming and now in investing. But what I wanted to first do is sort of like have you summarize as a third, like this kind of three minute introduction on okay. like where, where you're coming from. How did you make your way into gaming and eventually join Makers Fund and, uh, as a VC? I got my start in gaming in Iceland, where I'm from. And so I started, I was lucky to get a, a programming job at a company called OAS, which is a, it was like a Sputnik startup in Iceland that was doing internet technologies. And I was hired on a team that was doing uh, 3D uh, virtual worlds that were embedded in kind of like third generation browsers, uh, which is relevant. But more importantly, the this company OAS was a huge talent attractor in Iceland. And so, so a lot of, you know, very talented folks came in and out those doors. And that's where the founders for CCP came from and, uh, and a lot of the original team there. And so CCP was founded around kind of the, the turn of the, the century. And I, I turned to CCP in 2001 myself and I was originally a programmer uh, and then turned to production about halfway through my career there. And uh, I did production first for our engineering department and, uh, and it was very kind of like siloed at the time, but then I led uh, our transition to kind of like more cross-functional uh, teams and the agile way of working and all that uh, good stuff. And, and simultaneously, you know, the game 
came out in 2003, the game being EVE Online, which is a space-themed MMO. And we saw some initial success with that and, and were able to like, you know, start to grow the, the company both in Iceland and also abroad. So we had offices in, in Shanghai, uh, the USA, uh, and also in the UK. And my role, I took on more and more responsibility in terms of our kind of like production practices and this kind of like, you know, the global studio approach that we had. And that got me out of Iceland quite a bit. And on my travels, I, I met people from Riot Games in 2010. And that was just six months after they'd released League of Legends. And uh, at the time, they were a 50-person team. And, um, and they were doing direct-to-player to publishing of online PC which was not very common back then, but there were a few companies doing that. And CCP was one of those and, and Riot was one of those. So we had a lot to talk about in terms of just not only production practices, but also like, you know, community and, 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 and things like that. And, and, and then I ended up deciding to join that and make a very big move from, from icy, rocky Iceland to sunny Santa Monica, and, and that was in, in 2012 when I when I started. And I, I became the development director on League of Legends and, and held that for several years and built up a lot of the production team and practices on League of Legends and ultimately was responsible for the development management and development directors working on, on all of the game entities at Riot. So at both League of Legends and also other games that we had in production at the time many of which have seen the light of day since. And alongside that journey, I started to do angel investing and, and startup advising. And, uh, and that's how I got to know a bunch of the folks in the VC space through those investments. And, uh, and ultimately, I got to make it to the uh, funding partners of, of makers. And, and after I'd left Riot, I, I found myself working with them and, uh, and I'm now working with them full force. Nice, nice. That's really what a journey. Like yeah. <laughs> I, I think we we can dive a bit more into it, but I wanted to first ask if you could introduce Makers Fund a bit there and your role at Makers. Yeah, so Makers is a is a early stage venture capital firm focused on interactive entertainment, which means that we we invest in in games and gaming related things. Essentially, if if it touches the gamers' experience, it's something that we are interested in in looking at. Gaming content and studios is a large part of our pillar, but that's not the only thing that we invest in. We invest in technologies and and middleware and, and the influencer space and streaming space and, and whatnot. And so uh, Makers has been around since 2017 and did a original fund then and the second fund in, in 2020. And uh, we are now wrapping up on the third fund. Nice. And my role... My role there is, so I'm, I'm a principal, basically a part of the uh, investment team. And our investment team is, is highly collaborative, and, but the function is essentially, you know, source investments and, and run due diligence and support the portfolio companies that we've invested in. Yeah, nice. Like, how did you actually transition from doing gaming sort of like as an operator to, yeah. to, to take on a, on a VC role? Like, why was VC 
the right thing for you? So I would not necessarily say that I knew that it was the right thing for me at the time, but I had this hunch and and I've been watching this space a bit, you know, because I, I had been doing some of the angel myself and I got really intrigued in it. And I had essentially mustered enough courage and cushion to to you know just want to attempt to 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 make this pivot in my career and and I knew like you know that if it didn't work you know I, I could always go back to to video game development and operations and and I just really wanted to to push myself uh, a bit and what was really driving that for me was that I realized through the little that I had done as a as a kind of like personal angel investor and 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 engaging with founders as an advisor that i was getting a lot of just like personal fulfillment from that function like having some skin in the game and, and being able to lean in and, and, and be helpful and that's basically what i wanted to do more of and and that was kind of what really pushed me into into that direction nice nice like like this is a off schedule question but I, like myself i've been thinking a lot about like how i angel invest i i do a lot of sort of this, this vertical investing where i focus a lot on game studios but how do you see yourself as being an operator in game studios and now doing a lot of broad investing in gaming gaming tech all sorts of things related how, how do you think that sort of like shifted that you can evaluate uh, the potential there and do due, due diligence and then to support as well this sort of broad uh, spectrum. I, I come from a, a, a tech background as a, as a programmer, so the kind of like tech aspect of that has always been intriguing to me. And I, I get pulled into uh, a lot of the kind of like deeper tech or, 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 or tech-driven things that we are, we, are, we are looking at. And so, but in terms of, Valuation. I think the 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 background I have from development really helps with with the team evaluation, which is a big portion of 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 how we uh, look at the early stage investment opportunities. A lot of that is based around the team and the capabilities of the team, and so I see that help a lot there. Yeah, I, I totally agree with the team aspect when you're doing early stage. You're sort of like betting on these teams that they can build amazing companies. So yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. Then I wanted to touch more base on your gaming career and go back to the days at CCP, which must have been this kind of crazy roller coaster ride, like usually it is. What kind of things from those CCP days do you still think about today as these valuable lessons learned? Yeah. So yeah, CCP was uh, a roller coaster for sure, and it was also kind of like the true startup experience. I came in very early on. I was, I think, employee sixteen. We grew to six hundred at at the at the peak, and so yeah, so it was uh, you. You really like you know got the ups and downs of a pre-product company with a lot of uncertainty. There were 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 times where we where we didn't quite know if we had. The publishing deal and we didn't quite know if we were going to in fact we didn't get paid for a few months during during that time and so what what stands out from from that experience is is really this the culture that we were able to to build and the lesson really just being how important culture is 
for for companies and for for startup companies, uh, especially the ones that that grow somewhat rapidly. Another point is that Eve really became something special in the world of gaming because of the inexperience of the team. And so we had a really clear vision, but not a lot of experience. And like I said before, nobody in the country had made games. And we knew this one guy that had worked with us at OS, who was out in California making games. And we would call, sometimes call him at, at weird hours and, and ask for advice. And it's interesting because today we see a lot of teams that are spin out of from uh, established companies. But a lot of the biggest success stories in our industry are companies that were founded with folks that did not have relevant experience. And this is true for Riot also, where I then later joined. And so the founders mm. from Riot did not come from the gaming industry and, and had like, you know, had pretty brief careers before deciding to start a, a uh, video game company. And also true for some of the kind of like more known things like PUBG or Minecraft or Roblox. And, but that's not to say that these are like, you know, these are obviously kind of like, you know, snowflake instances and very special instances, but they, I think they become special because of the, 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 the path of the, of the, of the founders. And, and I can say for Riot, because that's where I come from, is that the, there were, there was, there was a notion of, of, of not going by conventional wisdom and not, and going against the grain because the vision was so clear and because the outcome was so was so was so clear that they wanted to and so there were many many instances where where i think if they followed kind of like more traditional advice then you know league would not have become what it is today that's interesting like do, do you think it's it's like like if we double click up a bit on this inexperience from gaming and then managing to build a huge company do you think there's certain aspects there that like that's sort of like when you're talking to a new team for instance like mm-hmm. who is pitching do you look for signals for this kind of i think it's yeah i think this um, the signals are hard to kind of like assert from like do they have gaming experience or do they not have gaming experience and so but the but some of the signals that we then try to look for is like do they have the kind of like just like strong vision and core beliefs that that i observed in the ccp founders and in the riot founders and so and regardless of if they're coming from from the the gaming industry or not yeah that's interesting i I wanted to talk a bit more about riot games Mm -hmm. so as like we are both coming from this kind of nordic perspective of gaming companies but what do you think are the dissimilarities from you know how the successful nordic games company would operate and that of somebody in in Santa Monica like do you have yeah. any thoughts there yeah so I, th- I do think that it's a very interesting uh, aspect I and mean, I certainly we think about kind of like American corporate culture being different than Nordic corporate culture or 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 just like company culture generally and and I think when I think about it it's like you know Nordic is more kind of like collaborative flatter structures less hierarchy and, and I think the Nordics were ahead of the curve with kind of like cross-functional teams, both in the gaming industry and, and, and elsewhere, and teams that have kind of like high level of, of agency and, and autonomy. 
But then when I when I came to Riot, they that that was something that I saw that they uh, really valued it and 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 wanted. But obviously when I when I when I walked in, there were stark differences, <laughs> and so and kind of like once uh, differences around leadership that uh, that took me a little bit of uh, getting used to. So for example, I would I would be stumped in the beginning when going to meetings because people would routinely just like you know talk over each other and 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 interject their opinions and and steer the conversations in and in, in different directions and and that that were those were elements that I was not very used to from kind of like a more of a nordic perspective but like i said the riot was at least taking a a kind of like a a, a an organizational building stance that is is more collaborative and more team centric. And we hired a bunch of folks from uh, the Nordics into leadership positions. We hired folks from Canada also into leadership positions. And Canada is kind of like in the in the middle there uh, between what I look at as Nordic culture and 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 then and then also one thing that we did was um, at Riot we both formally and informally did regular Nordic or sorry knowledge sharing session with Nordic companies. For example, with Spotify, we visit their offices in 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 Stockholm and in New York. We also visited all the gaming companies in, in Stockholm for those purposes during that same uh, trip. And we had folks from, from Spotify come to our offices in, in Santa Monica to do knowledge share sessions. And that's something that I was uh, really proud of having driven. And I think Riot's aspirations in leadership and organizational kind of like development go beyond what I think we would consider as, you know, traditionally American or, 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 or uh, in that sense. And I think, uh, I think they got really far with that. And it was certainly something that I was really excited about when I was joining the company. And, uh, you know, it's Riot, you know, with all that said, Riot is a, is a fantastic company in our, in our industry. And, and I, I thoroughly enjoyed my, my, my time working there, you know, because they, they built up a lot of good practices and they had really good culture. Yeah. Yeah. That's the knowledge sharing. It's really interesting what you just mentioned. I remember I had Hakan who used to work at uh, Peak Games and he was talking about his trip to Supercell with his to visit them and do knowledge sharing as well. I, I think it's one of those, like, you create a special sort of event for people to learn and mm-hmm. to observe. Uh, and it's totally different from going to a lecture or something. Yeah, yeah this is, yeah, that was, yeah, that's brilliant. But that's also an element that I kind of, like, consider being very special to kind of, like, the, the like Finnish video gaming characteristics. They often talk about how collaborative it is and how much knowledge sharing that, that there is going on between the companies. And, and I felt that when I went to, to, to Riot, that, you know, knowledge sharing was, was part of something that I was, was used to, and it was really cool to be able to bring more of that in there as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's nice. Like, how do you think your career in gaming did really like prepare you for this career in, in VC uh, to invest in gaming companies? Yeah, I think my experience has certainly helped with kind of like garnering specific insights on how 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 the how games are made, and so especially for content companies and and ability to kind of like assess 
the founders and uh, and understand their perspectives and experiences. But more importantly, though, I think that in the time that I've been in the industry, what I've really been able to build up is a very kind of like large and broad network. And, and I feel that that is what I stand on a lot, kind of like in this investing and, and VC role is, is the network that I have. And because I'm originally from Europe, and I've spent all this time in LA, that is, you know, it's vast now and it spans those, those geos. And it's, and it's helpful in, in, in so many ways. And then I would say for, because we're at very early stage focused that, like I said, it's, uh, it's team bets often and, and having the video game experience or development experience helps a lot with the, with, with the team bet, understanding the founder's experience and the background and seeking out kind of like trusted references from the notes that I have now in this network. And then I would say for our teams at Makers, I find that my background is exceptionally complementary to the team that we have there. And, you know, VC gaming is, or VC focused gaming VCs are, are, are really value add investors or want to be value add investors. And, and I think uh, having my background and, and how I fit into the team that we have at, at Makers helps us have kind of like a rounded value that we are bringing. That's nice. Yeah. Yeah. I, I want to be a double click a bit on the value add stuff. Like when it comes to providing help to the founders, how do you set that up with the founders of a company? Like, do you do you prefer to reach out to them and say like, hey, like what's going on? Or do you wait them to, to sort of like initiate an update and like ask for help? What do you think is, is the best practice there? Or do you think it varies a lot based on what kind of founder you're dealing with? Yeah, definitely varies a lot. And, and many founders are very self-sufficient and, and other founders really want a lot of engagement. And, and so it's really all over the, the place. And so for some companies that I work with directly, I do so at the board level. So it becomes more part of the process and there's you know, like, you know, regular check-ins and, and whatnot. But for other companies in our portfolio, we may have other makers, team members suggest that the founders that they are working with reach out to me specifically or vice versa, where when, when they suggest to me that I, I reach out to them and then that's when I will go and say, hello, what's what's going on? Mm, yeah, that makes sense. Like, think about the, the game industry and like new gaming studios coming up, like from your perspective, because you've seen seen sort of like that vertical of game studios from your career, like in two instances, really like something growing into big, big success. What do you think are the actual characteristics of a team that can take a gaming studio from like zero to hugely profitable. Do you, do you see what the characteristics are there? Yeah, I think I think it's obsession with the industry, or I would say like obsession with the audience, maybe like and and mm. the and really deeply understanding the audience that you want to want that you want to serve and have the right motivations to serve that audience. And then, I mean, we do look for recent and relevant and deep experience. And I think recent is, is key. But like I said earlier, it's, 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 it's not often, it's not always the kind of like the founder that came from X that is going to drive the biggest success because we've seen cases where, where we have founders that are coming from, from outside of the gaming industry that have done great things. And then just sharp 
and divergent perspectives, like founders that that have diversity of thought on their team and, and diversity of backgrounds. And, and I think most importantly is probably having clear and concise vision, like really crystallized, but at the same time, having the adaptability and, and willingness to be flexible and, and having kind of like an iteration or, or testing approach. And then just tenacious and, and scrappy founders with, with lots of drive. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Like previously, we talked a bit about this inexperience factor mm. from gaming. Like there's also this factor of, hey, you're a repeat founder or you're a first time founder. Like I think I had this question with one angel investor a while ago who was sort of like betting on repeat founders from outside of the industry coming into gaming as, as a bigger bet versus the ones who who have the knowledge, the studio yeah. experience, and then they're doing their first company. Like, do you have thoughts there? So I, I think that is an interesting thesis to have for sure. Like I, like I said, and this come come through here a lot, is, is that there is an element of kind of like the inexperience or, or not having too many built-in biases or practices or this is how we do things type of mentality and kind of like a navitas around that that can be and, and in many cases is super helpful, right? And so, but on the other end, then they, there are experience also helps you not step into pitfalls on your journey. And so, and so it's, it's, it's not always going to be, you know, yeah, uh, an easy ride in, in, that, in that sense. And so experience can certainly help with avoiding some of that. So I can't really say categorically that one profile is, is better than the other or, or, or is a better bet or, or, or anything like that. But I, yeah, but I do, I do feel that the, the inexperience factor has certainly created something special for all of, of, of those examples. And I think like, you know, EVE Online is, is something special. League of Legends is, is something special. And if you create something that's that's truly special, then, then the high likelihood of, of, of success around that is pretty high. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. Like, has your sort of evaluation process for, or, or just, you know, your views on what makes for a VC-backable gaming company, has it changed much? since you started doing angel investing yes so when i started doing angel investing i i i, I had little notion around just what what vc essentially was and so i didn't really know much about how it worked and and what is then or what is now vc back uh, where i think i got lucky was that the few companies that i did invest in personally they they got subsequent investment for from from gaming focused or top tier gaming focused VC investors, and and I was able to kind of like get exposure to 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 those and and kind of like and start calibrating kind of like my thinking around what I was seeing and and, and learning just from that exposure. And then mm-hmm. what's also interesting for me is that. Like this has also evolved quite a bit over, over over time. Like you know the the you know the free to play, the premium business model, or like you know uh, investing or not investing in VR, esports, now blockchain and NFTs and, and things like that. So there there's moving targets in that as well. Yeah, makes sense. Like, is is there something you know you'd want to 
change in how VC funding helps gaming companies to succeed. Do, do you think there's, you know, some some ways that like we as investors could be doing even a better job? What do you think? Yeah, I think there's always ways that we can improve and we can do better. And 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 I, I take personally kind of like a very kind of like inspect and adapt approach to 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 what I do. So I always think that there's room for improvement. But I can't really say that there's anything specific that I would kind of like broad like you know point out as a as as a change that I would want to make in in a broad stroke or anything like that. And we see, mm-hmm. I mean, VC funding is it's not perfect. It's not the perfect funding path for every gaming company. And, you know, there are business models uh, or, or companies or, or verticals within that are, are better suited for, for not taking equity investment. But I will point out that VC funding is very versatile, like uh, that what we can do in terms of our engagement, in terms of how we structure, in terms of the instruments we have, and how we partner with the founders is all very malleable and so I, I think it and it's a partnership and so it really comes uh, comes uh, down to like how well are we partnering with the founders and how and how can we in that partnership drive the best outcomes for those funders but I do think they're like they're very you know in the end they're bespoke they're just down to that that individual company and, and how we can and how we can help them succeed mm. Yeah, that makes sense. Like thinking about the the whole, like the last two years, well, year and a half in in yeah. gaming has been really crazy, and sort of like we we had already this. I, I think the boom was already happening when before COVID. I think like it felt like this, like things are getting better and better. There was, you know, Steelfront was already doing a lot of deals, Embracer as well, but but then like now it's even more crazier, like. What do you think about like M&A and all, all the stuff that is happening like right now? Yeah, I, I mean, it is active and it has been very active. And I, I think I, I see it continuing to be active. I don't see very few, you know, I don't see many signs of it cooling down anytime on the kind of like immediate horizon. We have had a couple of very recent M&A exits and there really haven't been more active acquirers in our industry than we have right now. You mentioned Embracer and, and Stillfront. So we also have like Synca and Microsoft and, and Facebook. And, and those are just the the kind of like, you know, most usual suspects in this. And so, mm-hmm. you know, and as long as they continue to have strong market performance, I think that will continue to drive a lot of the M&A activity. And yeah, so it's... I think it's it's going to continue to be continue to be pretty hot. Yeah, I, I I think so too. It's not gonna, you know, I don't think we're gonna see a bump anytime soon. So right, yeah, unless unless there's still something significantly that happens in the world. But I, I I think that we've seen in our industry that we are very resilient to those types of things, right? And so it's yeah, so not not only in COVID now, but also in kind of like previous economical slumps and downturns, gaming has always done really well. So it's, yeah, it, it will it will hopefully continue to, to be that way. Yeah. Hey, before we go to the final questions here, what is your advice for a game developer who is thinking about doing their own company? Like, 
is the right right time now like what do you think like, is it the <laughs> right better time, time now yeah well, well yeah well the space is 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 like we said the market is very hot now and so and we see a lot of like startup companies like and founders starting new companies and so but the advice that i would give is not have the external factors be the decision point of for yourself like is the time now based on that i think the number one thing that you have to consider when starting a, a gaming studio or gaming company uh, is do you have the right co-founder or co-founders and there are you know there are very you know differing views on 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 you know co-founders versus solo founders and some investors you know invest solely in 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 companies that are co-founded we we invest both in co-founders and solo founders i would say personally when it comes to content like making video games then having a co-founding team uh, is super important and and that's because you know it is there are so many disciplines that goes into making video games it's not just engineering it's not just like it's art design and 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 all of that and so uh, having a cohesive team come together to do that really is you know it makes you have a strong kind of like accountability structure around your co-founding team and it also makes sure that you have those capabilities like if you have to hire top talent for the kind of like lead roles in your in your studio that can be tough to find that can also be expensive when you're running on your or your first kind of like pc to check and so having co-founders come in and and have full agency full drive you know they're usually not paying themselves a full a full salary and, and that yeah that that dynamic works really well and so I think you should really think about that more than anything else. Like, am I, do I have the right company with me? Am I ready to go from that uh, aspect? And it's like, you know, starting a, a, a company with co-founders is like uh, a marriage. It's a, it's, a, it's a serious relationship. So you need to be sure that, that, you, are, that you are good to go. Yeah. Yeah, and the VCs will be the marriage counselors then afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and some and sometimes that like you know that ends up in 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 divorces, and so so you know it's 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 I, like I said, in terms of the timing, I think you should think about that. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Hey, final questions for you, Ali. What's your favorite book and why? Oh, there are, of course, so many great books, but having listened to many of your podcasts, I, I, I knew that this question would come, so I thought about it for a little. So the one that I'm going to call out is called Creativity, Inc. and this book came out several years ago now, and it came actually came out shortly after I joined Riot, and I had been reading a lot, reading a lot of just like generic leadership books and books on on delivery and and product and product management and uh, creativity inc was super impactful because it gave insights into like harnessing talent in a really really creative context and and creating teams and stewarding the creative process and the importance of storytelling and a lot of that resonated with me and the things that we were doing at riot at the time and i found myself Uh, recommending this book to founders and leaders in, in the industry ever since. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I, 
wanted to ask about creativity because I'm like I just re rereading it a while ago and like how do you kind of like like if you love that book and you're working with a team have you thought about like how do you how do you sort of incite the team into also picking it up and picking up stuff from there uh, i just feel it's not like you just hand out the book and it will happen like ha- do you have any thoughts there no but i think that's true with with any book like uh, i walked into a, a a company here in finland and the other day and i was i was giving a book and so and it really just comes down to like in some cases i'll just like wreck the book in some cases you know i'll there'll be more follow up on that but i really do think that it it comes down to to the the aspirations or or inspirations of 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 the founders is like you know what is it that they want to take and and what is it that they want to go with i'm sure like uh, there is an abundance of 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 advice and information that that gets handed and passed and so yeah i i try to do my best to 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 follow, follow up on those things yeah that's great do you have a, a story that shaped you in how you approach your work today yeah okay so funnily this is a story about a book as well and so and <laughs> <laughs> um, well it isn't I mean, the point is not a book the point is really about just like you know having solid you know goal setting and uh, which is something that i have that I found for me to be uh, super important and useful and, and and how I approach my work. And so probably nine years ago or shortly after I, I moved to LA, a very good friend of mine came up to me and, and, and told me about this book. And the, this book was called My Best Year Yet. And he had been traveling on a train in Switzerland talking to some guy who was just raving about this book and uh, and he suggested to me that we read this book and go through the the kind of like process that was um, uh, described in the book and this is kind of like a, you do a a it's like a full year retrospective process and then you then you break down all of the kind of like different aspects of your persona and and for me and for 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 many like you know work is a big part of what you do and then and then you kind of really dissect what it is that you want out of out of uh, out of those aspects of of your life and set very clear goals for for that and and by doing it kind of like holistically it it also kind of like helps you balance you know work goals with personal goals and mm-hmm. and we did we just did it and it's kind of like a funny book because it's written by this like you know woman teacher in the midwest that found herself just like ha- like helping people with with or with 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 goal setting in that in that way and decided to write this book and it's a you know it's not a like it's a pretty intuitive process but we did follow the process and and then we did it again the next year and again the next year and again the next year we've been doing it now for almost a decade. And I think that has been really kind of like transformative to me and how I approach my work, making sure that I have very like clear, high level goals and making sure that they're balanced against all of the goals, uh, all of the things that I want to achieve in my whole life, not only in my work. And that's an excellent one. Uh, I'll need to check out that book. Yeah. I mean, the book is, is kind of funny. And it's not very remarkable in any way, but the impact that that has had has been, for me, like, you know, massive. 
I started doing annual reviews, like yeah. just like real properly last year. Yeah. And it really did shape in like my thinking about like when I'm planning like a week ahead or what I want to do next. Absolutely. Like I go, go back into, you know, that. Yeah. yeah. And one element really of this, which I think was, was, was cool also is because we, we, we did it together. And so we, not only were we kind of like facilitating each other, but we were also really challenging each other. Like, you know, on like, you know, this goal is, is too fluffy or like, you know, is this mm. really what you want? Like, you know, in life and like, you know, and, and, or kind of like would help each other with kind of like, you know, different paradigms or, or, or shifting our thinking around these things. And, and yeah, it was, it has been highly, highly impactful for me. Yeah. That's really awesome. Like as the final question, Ali, what is the best way for people to, to get in contact with you? So the uh, best way is absolutely just LinkedIn. And so you can connect with me there or message me there. My email is on there too. And I, I, I do respond to, to, to messages there. Perfect. Hey, this was so much fun, Ali. Uh, I think like it was long, <laughs> like long overdue to have this discussion. So I'm really happy we did it. No, it's great. And, uh, and thank you for having me. And, you know, it's, it's great to be on the podcast. It's also great to be here in Helsinki and, and kind of like getting a glimpse into, 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 into the industry here. Yeah. Take, hey, take care. Take care, Ali. See you, you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. If you like our content, please do hit follow or subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcasting app. And you, if you're not yet our newsletter subscriber, please check that out at elitegamedevelopers.com slash newsletter, where we share every Friday a new set of things regarding gaming startups, investing, raising funding, whatnot. So check that out. And I'll see you next week. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.